Welcome to the Next Level Life and Finance Podcast. This is your host, Tony Kane. So remember, my job is to go out there and find the smartest and brightest people, get them on the show, get into their heads, extract as much gold as I can for my listeners. So today I'm really excited. I'm going to have Warwick Foote, a very experienced stockbroker joining us today to talk us through how the market works and what we should be looking out for in the current environment. Warwick and the team from Wilson's Advisory have been helping for clients for many years to achieve amazing outcomes. So it's really great to have someone of his experience on the show today just to educate us essentially on how the stock market works and what we should be looking out for. Just before we kick off today, this episode was brought to you by Next Lending Solutions. So if you've been looking to refinance to get a lower rate or take advantage of the dip in the house prices and look at buying a new property, don't hesitate to give the experienced team at Next a call on 02-9524-1072 or reach them on the website, which is www.nextlend.com.au. And just before we get in, I need to stress that today's episode is general advice only and I would highly recommend engaging a finance professional before making any financial decisions because everyone's life circumstances are very different. So that being said, Warwick, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Good to be here. So, Warwick, I was really glad to have you on today because um, naturally ever since the uh, coronavirus outbreak, the world's sort of um, gone into panic mode and the markets have been in free fall and there's you know, little signs of recovery. So I know a lot of my listeners out there would just be, you know, they're not, they won't be sure whether to be nervous or excited about what the stocks are going to do. And I know the team at Wilson's and yourself have been around for a long period of time. So, mate, tell me how you got started in getting into this game. Yeah, sure. Um, so... I guess, uh, look, I, when I went to university, I studied economics and commerce. So uh, just through those, there was a uh, obviously very relevant uh, disciplines towards you know, finance. And post-university, uh, sort of in the early 90s there or mid-90s, you know, the Australian economy was still, I guess, recovering a fair bit uh, from recession. And there weren't a lot of you know, great sort of graduate job opportunities around. So uh, I sort of made my way to London uh, and was fortunate enough to sort of pick up work over there in the investment banks. And that's probably where, you know, you really sort of eyes open as to how big a world from a finance perspective uh, things are um, relative to what, you know, I sort of knew from growing up in, in Brisbane and, and studying at, at the university. And that's where I sort of really became very interested in in the financial markets and, and essentially how the world worked from there. Yeah, right. So, man, how long did you spend it over in London? I was over there for about four years. So, uh, look, I was um, I, I was lucky. I, I got a job at Deutsche Bank as a business analyst. And uh, in those days, um, you know, Deutsche was a pretty uh, good place to work. Um, it was expanding heavily and... Uh, they bought Bankers Trust in the US. I was fortunate enough that I had a sort of six-month stint over in New York um, as they integrated that Bankers Trust acquisition uh, to their business. So, you know, I got a lot of um, exposure as to what, you know, different types of uh, markets uh, were about in terms of uh, the various, um, you know, fixed income and, uh, and, and, and equities and things like that and, and really saw... Uh, I guess um, how large the opportunities were to work in different areas. Um, I must say I wasn't sort of, uh, you know, in roles where I was directly trading or, or advising in those days, but it was certainly 
something that whet the appetite and um and yeah it was a great experience hey, you would have uh, had some interesting stories from being over there in wall street for a little bit of time oh yeah look you, you know it was probably um all i can remember in those days i mean it was certainly when you look at that uh tech boom in the late 90s there um you know that was a very interesting time where <laughs> um you know, if, I don't know if listeners can recall, but it was it was basically a period of time where you could buy tech stocks and uh, essentially couldn't basically couldn't lose money for a period of time. I mean, the market just um, did not sort of worry about any sort type of earnings or anything like that. As long as a company had .dot com at the end of its name, it, it sort of went up in price. And in March two thousand, uh, that sort of trend fell over for a fair period of time. Um, so you know, it's always interesting to see also how uh, how market trends essentially um, uh, stop, and um, and we've seen that in Australia, you know, post the mining boom for a period of time as well, and no doubt we'll see it again with different things uh, that come up going forward. But um, but yeah, it's always something that I can I can remember, um, and you always remember different different cycles where you know things work out very well for a long period of time. And then if the market sort of takes a view that this, this trend or, or this, uh, I guess, you know, sometimes there's structural changes, but, but if it, if that view sort of changes in the market, then no matter how cheap you think things are as share prices fall, uh, often they'll get cheaper. Hey, you know, what's funny you say that work. I remember just, I was only a young bloke when the, yeah, the dot com sort of, you know, the, the boom and crash happened. But I remember there was a stock right called globe.com. And it was essentially, there was the, the, the company was essentially worthless apart from the idea it had. And it, it ended up on its opening day, it was trading at $87 just off the back of a, you know, a, <laughs> a bit of excitement. And I think a year, a year or two later, it was trading at a dollar. So I think uh, you would have seen probably hundreds of those stories, right? Yeah, look, you know, certainly um, there was, there was businesses there that uh, went to astronomical valuations, and um, and when you look back, you uh, you do scratch your head. But it's as with any boom, you know, we've seen um, obviously over hundreds of years. I think the first uh, first, uh, if you look back to to Holland um, in terms of the uh, Dutch tulip boom, you know that that's probably um, you know very noted as to how how much you know those those tulips I think were selling for. Um, and it's just a, a phenomenon that gets people excited, um, and 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 we see prices go to sort of crazy levels for sometimes you know not much assets really backing them. And and I think uh, the, probably the one in Australia that really comes to mind in recent years, you know, we had that mining boom there from sort of two thousand and two, two thousand and three, which was a fantastic period for the Australian market, given our exposure to commodities, uh, but sort of post the GFC and, and China declining um, to some degree or their, their economic growth not perhaps being as fast as it was. You know, we did see commodity prices come off and a lot of the companies that um, were trading at very high valuations, you know, through sort of 2006, 2007, 2008, uh, you know, a lot of them don't exist anymore because um, whilst they, they did sort of have assets in the ground, uh, it, takes a lot of money and time to uh, develop those assets into um, into actual uh, cash flow um, and and that 
where the market's view changed, then capital markets sort of closed for the development of those companies. It's um, it's interesting you say that work because I remember at that time I was an, I was working as a, as an advisor and uh, like you said a little bit like the dot com sort of boom you know you're getting getting mining mining tips from the, the bloke pouring your coffees and you know the the, the cabins, <laughs> it was just <laughs> and and I think the the lack of research that was going into individual investors um, decisions was probably a little bit scary and it um it ultimately probably naturally worked out great for some but for, for many it was a little bit too good to be true and um you know, everything's sort of, the world has this uh, magnificent ability of evening itself out every now and then, doesn't it? It does. It does. It certainly um, makes everyone uh, think about what they're doing pretty, um, pretty hard in terms of the decisions they're making from an investment perspective. And we're seeing that obviously at the moment, you know, we've seen a very volatile period in the market sort of since the, the 21st of February uh, where, you know, we hit a new hole in the ASX, but certainly through, uh, late February and most of March, um, it's been a pretty volatile period, and um, yeah, equal to perhaps the GF- GFC and, and different events we've seen over time. Well, mate, I wanted to jump into that because obviously that's you know that's all we hear about at the moment is the coronavirus. So you know, naturally, we're all sort of living through some really turbulent times right now. And um, mate, I suppose you get some people who look at the glass as half empty versus the people who would be looking at the glass half full. So mate, with your experience and you know, you've, you've worked and traded through the GFC and the dot-com boom and crash, mate, what, if I've got listeners out there thinking, you know, how, you know, who do you listen to? How do you feel about what's going on at the moment? What, what would be your take on the current environment? Or? Oh, look, it's a very, um, it's a very complex situation. I don't certainly have all the, the answers or, or, you know, have any sort of proclaim to know what's going to happen because it's just really difficult to sort of ascertain if we get these uh, secondary infections coming through in different countries and, and what that has the impacts that have on um, I guess you know if economies remain closed and borders remain closed so it is really a, a, a complex situation in that regard and even from a domestic perspective you know everyone's working from home and and i think everyone obviously wants to, to get back to the normality of life and in australia it appears we're doing quite well at sort of containing uh i guess further outbreaks but um when when we can get back to sort of living a life with it that is isolation free to a fair degree you know that's front of mind for everyone in terms of i guess socially and, and economically but i think if you know if you've got listeners out there that are sort of trying to, um, you know, look at investing in this market. It's probably something that just go forward with um, a fair bit of caution um, and, um, and just certainly, you know, try to uh, focus on businesses that um, will, will be around uh, in a couple of years' time if things do get, you know, a bit ugly. Mate, I love that. Now, I've been talking about this for a while, Warwick, obviously in light of what things do and I'm sort of um, – you know, I don't have a bias towards property or shares. I have a bias towards good quality assets, whether it's a good property in a good location or it's a good stock in a good company, like like you said, that's be a, a being around for a long time or, or B, is going to be around for a long period of time. But mate, what I'm seeing at the moment and when, when I'm talking to clients that I'm coaching, it's almost like you've got to have that checklist like the pilot does. Um, you know, long before you're talking to a broker or looking to invest, I think at the moment, the, the, the first item on the checklist should be, is my job secure? You know, or is my business income going to be secure? 
Uh, and then secondly, is the capital that I'm about to invest in the markets, is that going to be capital that I'm not going to need back in six months or 12 months? Because you know, you'd be able to attest, you know, the, the best gains aren't, aren't generally the quickest ones, are they? Yeah, look, there's an old saying, you know, it's all about sort of time in the market, not timing the market. And, you know, there's various analogies along those lines, no matter what you're investing in. But, um, you know, whether it's property or, or, you know, the share market or, you know, different asset classes, uh, typically you find the larger gains are made through, you know, sitting and waiting on your assets rather than necessarily, um, you know, short term sort of movements. And and that's the big thing is, is as you say, you know, having your clients have that checklist um you know all assets i guess involve different uh levels of of risk um that you know particularly with yourself you know you're, you're very um obviously uh i'd say your clients would probably be very property centric uh with the lending um so when you go into those types of investments you are making a commitment if you take more debt um uh, and I guess, you know, the beauty about perhaps um, the the share market is if you're looking to take advantage of a, a fall in market prices, you don't necessarily have to throw, you know, a heap of money at things straight away and take debt on. And that's probably the difference is you've, you, you've got more access to liquidity if you, if you need the money quickly. Whereas if you go and buy a, a property, you know, it can be a fair period of time to perhaps sell if you need to sell or, uh, if you need access to capital, if you do sort of you know, have a, uh, a different scenario playing out from a work perspective or financial perspective, it, it can be harder to perhaps extract a little bit of money off a property uh, from a debt perspective because you can't, you, know, you can't saw the back veranda off the house and sell yeah. it. You, you, you're there basically. That's right, mate. And that, I, mean, I wanted to get into that because um, naturally I have listeners out there who, you know, it's gone from that panic mode of, you know, oh, I don't know about the rest of the world, but in Australia, I think the confidence is slowly coming back a little bit and i'm starting to have three weeks ago i was having conversations with people about you know geez i hope i can keep my job or i hope i'm gonna be right but now i feel like it's the confidence has picked up a little bit and, and you can see that's been reflected in the markets a little bit um but mate i suppose one of the great quotes i heard i don't know if it was warren buffett or, or whoever said it was you know when it comes to investing if you've just got to get invest early and invest often so basically get started early and just keep going and obviously not don't be too concerned about what the the daily price charts are doing it's more just like all right well you know let's buy good quality stuff let's get in early let's invest as much as we can and let's keep investing over a really 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 long period of time so but if i could ask you if i've got listeners out there who are starting to think about the confidence they may be okay with work or whatever what would you be sort of suggesting as a not, not so much, not talking about stock picks because, um, you know, that's a little bit too tailored, but just getting started in investing in general. What would be a couple of tips there, Warwick? Oh, look, I think um, if you can, <clears throat> I guess, buy, you know, businesses that you feel comfortable with, you know, often um, if you've got cash, then you're not going to probably earn a lot out of that cash sitting in a bank account. So, you know, a trend in recent years is to being, has been to look at, uh, equities as a, a way to um, generate income and certainly, um, you know, companies, Australian businesses that have franking credits attached to their income, you know, that could be quite advantageous uh, from a tax perspective in terms of the dividends they pay. Uh, so, you know, it, it depends on what your specific client requirements are, uh, but um, certainly if you can go and sort of chip off, you know, up, I guess some um, different businesses, uh, to try and build a portfolio at this point in time. You know, you're buying things 
cheaper than they, where they were a couple of months ago. And there will be some, obviously, uh, effects in the next sort of six to 12 months from an economic perspective, uh, which are going to come through. And that will affect, I guess, distributions uh, that a lot of the companies may pay. Um, but if you take that longer term view, uh, you know, in a low interest rate environment, there's probably some reasonable value uh, emerging in certain areas. And Mark, mate, can I, do you mind if I ask if I, if I was to uh, treat, if, you, if I could get you to treat me like a, a, a child, because I know that dividends and franking credits are, you know, ABC to, to stockbrokers and so forth, but it's, that's actually a word I know that scares a lot of my listeners. It seems, it seems very complicated. So mate, could you just give us a, a really quick, you know, back of the envelope lesson of how, what is a dividend and what is a franking credits and why they work so well? Yeah, sure. So, uh, basically, um, a company, uh, if you buy shares in a business and it earns a profit, then it will pay tax. Uh, and um, there was a uh, imputation credit system introduced in Australia in the 80s, where essentially um, to stop double taxation on dividends, when businesses paid shareholder, shareholders dividends, uh, there were franking credits attached to them. And what that means in, in simple terms is, uh, say, uh, say a company earns, say you own 100% of a company and before tax it earns a $1,000. Uh, if the tax rate is, the company tax rate is 30%, uh, then there would be uh, $300 worth of franking credits uh, post the company paying uh, the taxation on that $1,000 profit. And if it then distributed 100% of the uh, remaining uh, cash as a dividend, then there would be $700 of cash paid as a, a dividend with $300 attached in franking credits. Uh, so that can, um, you know, depending on the individual's tax rate, uh, if the tax rate is low, then you can get those dividends back from the tax office um, in, your, in tax return, or if your tax return, if your tax rate is say 30%, uh, then you'd basically pay no tax out of your own pocket on that um, seven hundred dollar uh, dividend. So I've tried. Hopefully that that no, explanation is is good. But that's brilliant. No, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. It's um because it, and, and mate, thanks for that, that because that's something that I think a lot of people and I think in general the, the share market scares the crap out of people just because some of the terminology. And I think the easiest way to do it is just get started small. And I've actually um said to people that, you know, mates and family and friends. I said, listen, there's so many websites out there where you can just set up a dummy portfolio and have a bit of a crack and just learn about what stocks and follow them and, you know, track the dividends and so forth. But personally, what I found super powerful and um, when I was an advisor and with my advisor now, Warwick, is just that, like you said there, so if we're getting a tax-free dividend, essentially, and then you're reinvesting that, so for the listeners out there, that means rather than taking that into your bank account, you're actually buying more shares with it. So every time you get a dividend, rather than taking the check, you actually just invest that into more shares. And mate, I've seen, and you would have done, you know, thousands of these projections, but the actual, the, the growth by doing that is just, it, the numbers end up blowing your mind over a long period of time. Don't they worry? Well, it's, that, that's exactly right. I mean, that's a different strategy as well, where you, if you're putting money away in the market and you're essentially saying, look, i comfortable to put this in. I don't need the cash coming in as a, a dividend every year. And, um, and you're likely to see that going forward. Is If com- companies are sort of ha- hungry for capital going forward, 
you'll see the discounts on dividend reinvestment plans essentially start to to rise. So basically, when you get uh, um, you know a dividend going forward, it'll give you the opportunity rather than taking the cash to buy the shares. And and often companies will say, well, they want people to take up the DRP so they can keep capital on the balance sheet, and therefore you'll get more shares the greater the discount with that. Uh, cash distribution coming in, so yeah, you're right. You can you can build up a fair bit of um, capital over time if you just stick things away and and essentially just reinvest the dividends. And mate, this is brilliant. And thanks, mate. I, and I, I'm sorry to be using you as a bit of a teacher here, but mate, I I love doing this podcast because I get to get the smartest and brightest people there is and get inside <laughs> their get inside their heads, right? And uh, and mate, I'm, I, it's like an accidental benefit for me because I learn as I go as well. So it's, it's and it's I appreciate that, buddy, because um, a lot of people, you know, no one's ever explained that before. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things where it's not not commonly known how that works. So um, mate, I do appreciate that. And um, so mate, what would you mind? Like, I mean. Naturally, and we were talking offline about this, and it's important for listeners, listeners out there to know that I'm not going to ask uh, Warwick for his, for his hottest stock pick, right? Because we were talking offline and everyone is so different, right? Because um, if you had someone who was 10 years out from retirement and had were really conscious about building a nest egg, obviously that would be more conservative than you know, a 30 year old who's just won $5 million, you know? So it's, uh, or it, is that right, mate? Like you've got to be, it's not just a one size fits all, is it? When it comes to yeah, investing, that's right. I mean, I guess in that scenario, it probably depends on the thirty year old. But um, you know, I think that uh, a big thing there, and I work with a lot of different advisors in, in servicing clients as well. Um, where you know, a lot of advisors I work with, they'll look after the sort of strategy and structural side of a client's affairs. So they'll basically look at the client. Uh, in terms of what their investment objectives are, and um, and essentially, you know, look at asset, appropriate asset allocations. And what that means, Tony, is, is essentially, you know, someone will have, you know, a very different risk profile if if they're in retirement. So they may really value uh, the cash income in that scenario. So they'd be less likely to take the dividend reinvestment plans, as we were just talking about, uh, because they they, you know, value the they cash income. income. Yeah, yeah uh, relative to perhaps a younger person that says, look, I've put this money away, I'll just leave it there. I don't need the, the cash income from a dividend perspective. So there's all sorts of things there that, you know, people look at. Um, and there's all sorts of strategies as well, depending on what, you know, people's requirements are and what uh, is going on in markets. I mean, we're seeing with markets at the moment, there's a fair chance we're going to see more capital raisings coming through in the short term as companies, I guess, um, bolster their balance sheets and, um, and that can create opportunities as well. Uh, well if you can, can I jump in there, buddy? So if, in those capital raisings. Yeah. So can I, if I jump in there, can you just give us an example, right? Because that's a common terminology. What, what exactly would a capital raise mean for a company? They obviously, they need money. They need to bring money to the company. So does that mean just an issuance of more shares? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, we've seen in recent times, uh, so look, give an example, like Cochlear did a capital raising there, I think it was three or four weeks ago, and they came to market, you know, it's been a great Australian business over time, they came to market, I think, in about 1995, uh, and they, my understanding is they've never conducted a capital raising since that time. Um, 
which typically leads to you know very high return on on capital and and on equity um, for shareholders. Uh, so it's been a great performing share over that time. But they um, they're having a I guess a situation at the moment where elective surgery is is really declining because of this yep. COVID nineteen crisis. So that combined with um, I guess a court ruling against them, they have um, essentially uh, uh, said, look, they've gone out to the market to, to raise capital. So I think when they did the raising, the stock price had sort of fallen from about $270 to I think it was around 168 or something. And they did a raising there uh, at $140 a share. Um, but what it, so what they've done is we've replenished or bolstered the balance sheet where they've got you know, no real issues going forward. Um, if this crisis was to go for a lot longer from a balance sheet perspective. And also, it means that from a competitive perspective, you know, they, they're in potentially a lot better situation than, um, you know, some of their competitors. So so that's where we're going to see. And then, you know, we've obviously seen when with the Flight Centre in recent weeks, you know, they raised capital where they're, you know, very, you know, great business over time, but they're in an unfortunate situation where, um, you know, their business is basically seized up um yep. uh webjet the same so those businesses you know have had to go out to the market and um and raise capital um and the reason they raise equity capital in those situations is um it's very difficult to raise uh debt yep. uh, yep. you know if you your business is seized up the way it has so um, they'll offer the the shares uh typically at a, at a discount to the prevailing market price and that can often be you know, a very good time, um, as we've seen, particularly during the GFC, where where companies did a lot of raisings, and um, and you look back and you sort of um, think, geez, they were great, you know, yeah, great a, things to I be mean, part of. You look at it, and mate, I was actually keen to ask you there, like, what? It's funny you say that, like with cochlear, like I um, obviously they do it's ear, ear implants and so forth. Is that right? Um, yes, cochlear. Yes. So, and like you said, elective surgery has all been put on the back burner. Um, so they're naturally going to cop a hit and fight centers, another obvious one. So mate, for you, is that where you sort of, are you sort of just spending bulk of your time or thinking, okay, well, if that, then what is that sort of how you operate as a stockbroker, buddy? Um, look, we, uh, you know, I work at Wilson's and we've, as a firm, we've got a you know, very large research team. We've got the largest sort of mid cap research team in Australia, but we've also got, uh, you know, a number of strategists that, um, really focus, I guess, on the macroeconomic view, but also, you know, sector views in terms of Australian equities. Uh, and, um, and and we get a lot of insights from them um, as to, you know, where they sense opportunities. And we rely on, on them for, you know, a lot of our sort of ideas for clients in terms of market trends. Um, and then we try and, I guess, um, communicate those to clients um, as to what those specific requirements or the client requirements might be. Um, so I think in terms of the current market in that context, yeah, we're very much focused on, you know, orientating client portfolios to, uh, ensure that they've positioned well, where we don't want to see, you know, any blow ups, um, going forward from a balance sheet perspective, uh, but also, I guess, um, looking at, uh, some of those raisings as to, you know, how can we potentially participate for clients and get access to them as well? Um, or if clients actually own uh, potentially shares in those businesses, 
know, participating in share purchase plans. Um, and that's where they do get the opportunity generally uh, to buy shares um, at, at the, the cheaper market prices um, and, and advising clients how they want to potentially you know, take up those, those share purchase plans or rights issues as well. And are they, are they only for the existing shareholders, those share purchase plans? That, that's right. So the share, yep. the share purchase plans and the rights issues are only for existing shareholders. Yep. Uh, yep. So, um, and, but, but certainly in terms of uh, companies raising capital at other times, uh, depending on um, you know, how, how much is being raised and how the companies structure them, um, generally institutional investors will, will take the bulk of it, but occasionally sort of retail investors can also um it's a bit left uh, over for us but that was yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right but uh, but look you know you, you can certainly appreciate you know the companies want to raise capital quickly and that's where um, yeah. the institutional market you know enables them to do that as well takes it up yeah. Mate, yeah this is this is brilliant or thank you so much mate as we're going because um I think the, the, you, what you're doing for me and for a lot of my listeners, you, I, without you probably knowing it, you're taking away a lot of the fear. I think uh, understanding is is half the battle and this has been excellent because um, I think it's, it, you'd have to almost have had your head in the sand for the last 50 years to not understand that good companies over time will always do really well and they'll they'll have profits and therefore they'll pay dividends and the better the company goes, you've just got to look at companies like Cochlear, right? Where I think, what did you say? They what are they at now? They're at $180 or something. They, what did they launch at back in the day? Like, was it? Oh, it's in, yeah, very, very low, uh, very less than 10 bucks. Less than 10 bucks, right? So, if yeah, you, yeah. for the listeners out there, and we're not definitely, no, we're not recommending Cochlear by any, uh, by any uh, way, but for example, right, a company like Cochlear, if you had invested in the early days of that, and you know, it's a, it's a, it's life changing results. And, I, and I've even worked with, um, lots of clients or where they've just without even knowing it they've become accidental millionaires just by working at a company which uh issues issue shares they've taken that up every year and they can get a lot of the time with um listed companies in australia there's even like you can get like a salary sacrifice so tax deduction to buy the company shares um at a lower cost so you look at that and you go well, if you could just you know set that up in the background right it's you know you what you'd find is and what i used to advise clients is you won't notice it after a while you're just buying shares and you're, you're taking out a little bit less money, but all of a sudden you get to retirement and it's almost like you've got this second superannuation where <laughs> you've got your normal super, but then you've got this share purchase plan that you've, you've just chipped away at for a long period of time. And I've seen clients where, like, like I said before, it's, it's almost like they've become an accidental millionaire. They've made hundreds of thousands of dollars sort of accidentally. Yeah. Well, that scenario certainly sounds like, I guess, uh, you know, they're contributing money, you know, regularly, a bit like paying off a home or something like that. You know, they're just keeping building an asset uh, over time. So it does sound like a, a great way to, if they've got the cash flow to, uh, to contribute like that, a great way to sort of create wealth over a long period of time. And if they're not um, being effective on a day-to-day cash flow basis too much by doing it, it does sound, sound like a fantastic way to, to create wealth. And, Sounds like they've been pleasantly surprised uh, <laughs> yeah. at, at some point in time. Yeah, <laughs> mate, absolutely, mate. I um, so mate, I, I I'm conscious of your time, man. I know that you've probably got charts all over. That. You've got to get back to it because the market's live right now for you. But um, but mate, I just wanted to um, mate, say thanks again for coming on, Warwick. Like it's 
Mate, it's, it's really been brilliant for me and thousands of people out there would be listening to this now going, shit, all right, well, I now understand why companies cap a raise and what, what dividend, dividends are and imputation credits and, you know, share purchase plans. So, mate, um, mate I'm going to, if it's all right, I'd love to have you back on at some stage down the track. Hopefully once the world sort of got back to some level of normality and uh, see how the, the markets are doing. Yeah, that'd be great. Hopefully, uh, I don't have to do it from home and we're out of this isolation situation. So <laughs> yeah. that, that's probably what everyone's focused on at the moment. And um, hopefully when we speak next, uh, the market's a little bit higher than where it is currently. Mate, absolutely. And what I'll do for the listeners out there, so um, if you wanted to get in touch with Warwick's company, it's Wilson Advisory. So their number is 02-8247-6600 or the website is www.wilsonadvisory.com. .au. And um, for my, for what it's worth, guys out there, like I, you know, I've probably been really fortunate to be in finance almost for 15 years now. And I, I do a lot of study on the markets and I still don't go it alone. I, 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 um, I have a big faith in brokers. So if you're out there right now and, you know, you've got a, you're thinking about putting, you know, a substantial amount of money into the markets, I'd, I'd highly recommend that you speak with a professional like Warwick because um, it's a, uh, there's a fine line in markets. Markets move really quickly. So having the right team and, and Warwick mentioned there, like he's got one of the largest research teams in the mid cap space. So yeah, benefiting from having all those bums on seats, looking at all those companies day in, day out is a, is a huge advantage. So, so Warwick, mate, um, thank you so much again, mate. I really appreciate it. And I'll make sure I put your, the details for Wilson advisory in the show notes and mate, mate, stay safe up there, mate. I hope you can get out of the uh, house soon. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Appreciate that. And I'll uh, speak again soon. That's a wrap on another podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you really enjoyed Warwick's information and tips on how the stock market works. I think you could, if you can understand how it works and you can eliminate the fear of it and start understanding that essentially the stock market is just made up of companies that's goal is to make profits to pay to their shareholders and grow the wealth. I think if you can sort of start that mentality that, you know, the stock market isn't evil. Obviously it does go through ups and downs, I do have to stress the importance of making sure that before making any investment decisions that you go and get the right advice from a stockbroker like Warwick or a financial advisor just to make sure that the investments that you're about to undertake fit in line with your strategy, in, in line with where you are at in your stage of your life and how much income you have and how much capital you're investing. So I would always recommend not going it alone and getting the right advice. You know, the small cost you're going to pay an advisor or a broker to implement these strategies will, will pay you back 10 times in, in the access to the research they've got. So thanks again. Stay safe. If you haven't already, do me a favor, hit the subscribe button and leave a little rating. That helps so much for me to get other people access to this podcast and if you've been thinking that there might be someone in your life who might want to get into the share market as well and this podcast could help them feel free to share it along so stay safe have fun and i look forward to catching up on the next podcast